This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Morning. I always feel like when the children go out before the message that the parents are trying to protect the children from the preacher. <laughs> yeah, amen. Who said amen back then? Uh, it's a joyous thing that uh, God gives us uh, what I like to call uh, divine moments of possibilities. And by that I mean that uh, when we seek to do the will of God, then that means that we are cooperating with God to pour into our lives the next best thing. I'm going to kind of begin a little series today uh, that's going to lead us through, uh, hopefully, the next month or so, and that will uh, talk to us about what does God have in store for us? What's the next best thing? What's the next best thing for uh, journey, but also what is the next best thing for you personally? Because, frankly, this building, this organization really isn't the church. You are the church, right? Okay, get an amen is always a good thing once in a while. No, you got them with you, you know. Uh, Amens are like laughter to comedians. You know, if you don't get an amen, you think, man, I'm really falling flat. Uh, But... um, it's, they used to say, say an amen to a preacher is like saying sigum to a dog, you know. But um, uh, the real will of God, what God wishes to do in our lives, begins not with a corporate structure. It begins with us individually, personally, because you are the church, Jesus said, where two or more gather together in my name, there am I in the midst. He made church very simple. It only takes two people and Jesus. (laughs) So we've got considerably more than that here today, so we've got church. You see? Church is what you encounter when together you encounter Jesus. But for you to do... The next best thing, you have to first, before anything else, figure out how do I discern the will of God? How do I discover the will of God for my life? How do you do that? Now, I know that people have had a lot of ways to try and do that. I remember there was a fellow when he was young, he'd just close up his Bible and open it up, and wherever it'd fall, he'd put his finger, and whatever he read... He'd take it as God's will for his life. One day he was especially depressed and miserable, and he closed up his Bible, let it fall open, put his finger down, looked down and read, and it said, Judas went out and hanged himself. (laughs) He said, well, that can't be right. God would never tell me to do that. So he closed his Bible up again, let it fall open, put his finger down, and read the words, go thou and do likewise. Not the best way to discern the will of God. 
And is really the will of God that hard to discern? I hear people all the time talk about, oh, I can't figure out what God's will is for my life. God's will is pretty simple. Not difficult. It's just whether or not we want to do it. (laughs) Say amen or ouch. So I want to call your attention to a passage of Scripture in Luke 19, beginning at verse 11. In Luke 19, verse 11, we pick up uh, these important words. It says, And while they were listening to these things, Jesus had been talking to Zacchaeus, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. (laughs) Now, you want to talk about the will of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They were waiting for the will of God. They were expecting the kingdom of God to all of a sudden appear, and they were going to have a glorious good time. So Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them about how his kingdom works and what is going to be happening in the future. So he tells a parable, which is really literally about himself. He said, A certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself from them, and then returned. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And it came about when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. And the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. I will give you authority over ten cities. I'm going to just stop the parable there and just simply let's just take a moment and say, Jesus, give us wisdom, understanding, uh, knowledge of your will for our lives through this teaching of Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Now, I want you to first understand what's just been said. Jesus is saying, I'm literally like a man who went to a certain country to receive a kingdom for myself. I was going to give a kingdom. Jesus came to this earth, and he was the true king of the nation of Israel. He was their Messiah. He was the anointed one. But when he came into this place, and as he was near Jerusalem telling this, you know, he's right at the headquarters of the kingdom of Israel, Uh, He knows they're plotting against him to kill him and to destroy him. And he says in this parable that the people did not want him. They hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. In other words, 
We have no king but Caesar. You see? So this is a very literal parable about what is actually going on in their lives. And so it, it says in the parable that he had ten servants. Well, Jesus had how many disciples? Twelve. But he's doing an analogy. And he says he gave them some minos, that's some money to invest. And once he came back and he returned, and Jesus has gone away, and he's going to come back and receive the kingdom unto himself, and what we've done, he says, I come back and I want to know from my servants just how well did you do with what I've given you. Um, Let me rephrase that. Not necessarily how much money you have made, but how faithful were you with what I have given you? He goes to the first and he gets, gave him ten minas and he made ten, uh, made, multiplied it. And uh, he said, I've made ten minas more. Uh, and he goes to the second one, he gave five to, he made five more, and he goes to the third one, and you know this parable, he says, I only had one, and I just kept it in a handkerchief, so because I didn't want to lose it. And in the parable, the nobleman says, you're a worthless servant, you didn't do anything with what I've given you. Uh, again, he isn't caring about how much is made He's caring about whether you did what he asked you to do with what you have. Uh, He says to the first one, and this is the byline, verse 17, that I want us to focus on today. He says, well done, slave, because you have been faithful in something very little. I'm going to make you a ruler over ten cities. How do big things begin to grow in your life? How does great things happen? It happens when you do the littlest thing. When you are faithful in the smallest thing. The will of God is not achieved by doing big things. It's achieved by the very little things that you do every single day of your life and how you handle all that God has blessed you with. And whether you realize it or not, you are blessed. You may not think you're blessed, but you are blessed. You may be depressed today. You may be miserable. You may have had tough things happen to you. But on the face of this earth, comparing your life to people around the world, You are blessed far above and beyond anything you can imagine or think. You know? You really are. You have better homes to live in. You have a better place to sleep tonight. You have more money. You can sit and watch the world from a little device held in your hand. You can keep in contact with people. You can turn on electric lights. You can watch television I mean, think about it. The rich young ruler could never have the hospital care that you have. The rich young ruler in his house had no air conditioning and no central heat. The rich young young ruler had no car to drive. 
Rich young ruler had no cell phone, no laptop, no iPad, no iPods. He did have eyeballs. But he had none of the things that you have, and yet he was called rich. If he had none of those things and he was called rich, what does that make you? You're wealthy beyond your wildest imaginings, even if you're struggling from paycheck to paycheck. I have mentioned before, I've been in Venezuela where we had to worm every man, woman, and child that we met because all of them had worms. If you don't have worms today, you're doing better than a lot of people in Venezuela. You're blessed. God has given you abilities. You can think, you can reason. Some of you can do music, some of you can write, some of you can do your jobs. You've got ability. Some of you have good interpersonal skills with people. Some of you have no good interpersonal skills with people. Some of you are like me and you're just awkward. (laughs) I've always been awkward, you know. There's some things I never know how to do. It's like, don't give me a compliment. I'll really work hard to undo it. And it's just wired in my head that way. Uh, But none of that matters. It doesn't matter how many minas you have. It doesn't matter whether you can do a whole bunch of different things or you can only have one mina. You only have one ability. It doesn't really matter. God isn't concerned about that. He's concerned about what are you doing with what he's given you. And what he expects you to do is take what you have and bless others with it. Use it. Give. Invest. Share. Bless. And whenever the Christian does that, you are laying for yourself up treasures in heaven where thieves cannot break in and steal. They won't, those treasures won't rust. Because you are investing in the lives of people. I mean, when you think about what ministry is, ministry isn't just what we do up here. Ministry is, well, look at the person beside you. That's your ministry. How you treat them. You see, the big problem that we have with all the technology today is we think if we put it on the internet, we've shared the gospel. You have not. Whatever you put on the internet isn't going to change anybody's minds about anything. Unless God is dealing with that person, none of that means anything. The gospel was never intended to be transferred through the internet or on television or even radio. Now, I have to hide because I've had radio programs in the past. The gospel itself, really, was meant to be transferred from person to person. That's how it was done. 
Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of the internet. No. Fishers of media. No. Fishers of music. No. Fishers of men. Fishers of men. It's how you hold those little babies and how you bless them. There is nothing holier and more sacred in all the world than a little child. Jesus says, if you receive one of these little ones, you receive me. Nothing more precious. How you bless a child is important. In fact, Jesus says, whoever received these receives me. Whoever causes one of these to stumble and fall, well, I won't go into all of that, but children are precious. How do you minister to them? You must recognize that people are your ministry. And if you want to discover the will of God for your life, discover people. Discover a way in which you can bless people by doing kind acts towards them. You know, I mean, Jesus didn't make his will so hard that you have to figure it out. I mean, everybody was saying, well, I don't know what a God wants me to do in this situation. Uh, and, and usually it involves a dream with so many people of saying, well, I know if I make the wrong choice, it's going to be awful. If I make the right choice, then I'll get rich. If I make the right choice, then I'll be great. Now, you forget all of this. When we pray about God's will, Jesus didn't make it difficult. When we get to heaven in Matthew 25, he didn't say, you know that time you prayed for my will about whether or not you should go to this college or that college? Yeah, you messed that up. You're out. <laughs> he didn't say, do you remember that time whether you prayed about... Uh, what church you're going to attend? Sorry, you picked a wrong one. He's not going to say that. We waste an awful lot of time trying to figure out God's will for nothing that he is concerned about. Because he's not looking for you to pick the right church because, sorry friends, you are the church. You are his emissaries. You are his servants in this parable. He's gifted you. He wants you to just do his will. And what is his will, Matthew 25? I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I, I was sick and you visited me. Naked and you clothed me. In prison and you came to me. How are you using what God has given you to minister to the people around you? His will isn't that hard. It isn't that grievous. 
And he's accomplishing his purposes. Romans 8.28 says all things work together to for together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So God is working all things together towards a good end for you. Don't go sweating around about, oh, what if I make the wrong choice? I can promise you you're going to make wrong choices. You will. I can guarantee you're going to mess up someday. I mean... I can guarantee that there are people who already think you've messed up. Right? That's not the point. The point is, have you ever done anything simply because Jesus asked you to do it? G.K. Chesterton once said, Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. Christianity just hasn't been tried. I mean, God wishes to achieve his purpose. And it's not grievous. Do the little thing. Do the thing right next to you. And God will enlarge it. One of George MacDonald's novels, 19th century novel, George MacDonald is a brilliant writer. If you don't know who he is, he was the man that C.S. Lewis says, I fancy that I regarded him as my master. In fact, I fancy I've never written a book in which I did not quote from him. Wow. J.R.R. Tolkien was truly, truly guided by the thinking of George MacDonald. And it was Tolkien who helped lead C.S. Lewis to Christ. Did you know that? G.K. Chesterton read George MacDonald. Madeline Leingle, Wrinkle in Time, read George MacDonald. He's a Victorian writer. But his understanding of God's will and how to act upon it and how to integrate faith into your life is rather extraordinary. A friend of mine, Michael Phillips, re-edited his novels for Today's Reader that was published by Bethany House in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, they're wonderful. They're still out there. You can pick them up cheap. Buy one. Read it. But in one of these novels, he has a grandfather with his grandson, and the grandson was saying, Grandfather, I want to grow up and do great big things. And the grandfather says to him, well, then begin with little things. He says, Grandfather, I don't want to do little things. I want to do big things. Then become faithful in that which is least, the grandfather says. He said, but Grandpa, I don't know how to do that. He says, is there nothing you know you should do right this minute? He said, well, I guess I should feed my dog. He said, then begin there. If you don't begin in the littlest things, don't expect more because how can you be trusted in the big things if you can't be trusted with the little things? The simplest little things make all of the difference. Jesus says, and this is how simple he makes his will, whoever even gives a cup of cold water in my name shall not 
lose their reward. That's what makes the difference. We had a ministry in Germantown called Beyond the Walls, and in Beyond the Walls ministry, we would try to do, and here's the way we set it up. We tried to go into the community and do things for people that they would never expect to be done. Try to, try to blow their minds, you know, with grace, with love, with kindness. You ever try to blow people's minds with kindness? You ever try to just freak people out by being sweet? You know? Jesus says, bless them that curse you and say all manner of evil against you. Have you ever tried that? It drives them crazy. It's fun. So one day they, I said to my, uh, well, let me just tell you one other thing. We, we do things like give out gas cards at the gas station. We have people go down, stand at the gas station and say, hey, uh, you mind if we just fill up your car? What? Why would you do that? Oh, we just want you to know God loves you. Just filling up your car. Uh, we had one family pull in and says, you got to be kidding me. We came here and pulled in trying to figure out how we're going to put more gas in the car to get to where we're going. We had no idea. Well, don't worry about it. We got it. Fill it up. We're waiting there for them. Blew people's minds. One day I go into my youth pastor's office and I said, uh, Ricky, I said, uh, what can we do to help our schools? I just feel like we need to do something to help our school system. He says, well, they're getting ready to move the junior high in Farmersville to, uh, to uh, I mean, the junior high in town to Farmersville and the elementary in Farmersville or the middle school in Farmersville to Germantown, something like that. He said, well, maybe we could help him do that move. I said, well, go check it out. So Ricky goes in and says, we're going to help you to move. They were overjoyed, the school board was, because it was going to cost them $50,000 and take three weeks to do the move. And uh, then I come to find out the scope of what we had agreed to. I mean, we weren't talking just books. We're talking furniture, desks, teacher's desk, cabinets, all kinds of resources. All of this stuff had to be shifted from one school to the other. So we got our church together and we had our people go in the week before and help the teachers pack up the rooms. We got that all packed up, and on the day of the move, we brought in, we had 120 people show up from our congregation, and we, we pulled in trailers and trucks and all of this stuff, and in six hours, we moved one school to Farmersville and the other school to Germantown and saved the school $50,000. The superintendent was in tears. And she said to me, why would you guys do this? I said, because we want you to know that God loves you and he has your back. Do you know that elementary school and whenever we do anything, they, when it came to vacation Bible school, the school sent flyers home with the kids 
in elementary school to come to our vacation Bible school. Why would they do that? That's unheard of. But we said, we don't want any thanks. We wouldn't accept any thanks. We just want you to know that God loves you. Don't put it out there on the news. We're not here looking for a story. We just want to bless you because that's what God has called us to do. And that's what God calls any of us to do. His will is not hard. It's not grievous. It doesn't mean everybody's going to love you or like you for being nice. Some people will literally hate you for being sweet and nice and like Jesus. But my goodness gracious, that's what he's asked us to do, is to be a little Jesus and just bless people. Study the life of Jesus, where he went, what he did. He didn't go and say, okay, I'm going to construct a brand new worship facility over here. No. He didn't say, oh, we're going to build a tower of prayer. No. Everywhere he went and what he did, was engaging people in their lives and speaking into it and blessing them. He healed the sick. He prayed to bless people with food. Even if he had a few loaves and fishes, Father, feed the multitude with this. And he blessed people. Everything he did was to feed, to clothe, to encourage, to strengthen, to bless people, and to let them know that God isn't against them, but he is for them. And if we do the same, we do the will of God. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. It's what you're given to do each and every day. Who is the person that God sends into your path? What are you to do with them? What is the will of God in this moment, in this situation? That's what we're called to do. See, God loves you. He really does. And what God is trying to do in your life is pour down blessing, Upon blessing, upon blessing. I am the Lord, I bless and curse not. God blesses. Sometimes we push him away because we've made up our mind what the will of God is and said, well, that's not what it was. I'm looking for God. God says, let me bless you how I know you need to be blessed. Not how you think you ought to be blessed. Once we discern that, then we will know the next thing. And here's the beauty in all of this. We start little with each other. And this thing begins to grow. And it leads to bigger things. And bigger things. Once God knows you are faithful in giving somebody a cup of cold water in his name, he knows he can trust you to feed him a meal. Once God knows that he's led you to doing something as simple as that, there will be more and more and greater things that will come your way in life that you never dreamed of. Because whether you realize it or not, that's the purpose that you were born for. 
The shorter version of the Westminster Confession says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's your purpose. That's why you were born. You weren't born to be a famous movie star. You weren't born to be a pop singer. You weren't even born to be necessarily a Christian singer. You were born to be faithful and to glorify God in little things that He might grow them to bigger things. So I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this morning. Uh, and it's real simple, real easy. Don't let it freak you out, okay? You okay with me? You still with me? Raise your hands if you're still with me. All right. All right. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And as they come to prepare us for uh, closing songs this morning, um, I want you to... And I don't know, I don't know, if you, if you don't lead out loud in prayer, don't worry, I don't want you to lead out loud in prayer. I don't want to do, you to do anything that makes you uncomfortable. But here's what I do know. Jesus says, if any two of you agree as to touching anything here on earth, it shall be so done in heaven. That means when two or more of you agree as anything that you want to use for God's blessing to God's will, God's going to bless it. It doesn't mean he'll do anything. He says, when you pray according to my will, God will bless. So God's going to bless. So what I want you to do is just kind of turn around and get with four or five people. And some of you may want to pray out loud, and may some of you may not. But I want you to just take a moment this morning and pray for God to bless every person in that group. And you can do it out loud or you can do it silently. I don't really care. God knows what's going on in your heart. It doesn't have to be that way. I don't want you to perform. You don't have to say some big flowery prayer. I just want you to say, God bless so-and-so. Bless Jim, Bob, Mary, Jane, whoever. Just bless and minister to each other this morning in church. You're the church. You minister to each other. And it's okay if your family's with you in this. So you can bless your family. And if you've had a fight with your wife, you can bless her. Because Jesus says, bless your enemies. So you can bless one another even this morning. All right? All right. Would you do that? Groups of four or five. He's, he's on crutches over there. Some of you go over there and join him. So bless him by not making him walk. All right? All right. Get in these groups. And let's sing while they do this. Let's just go ahead and sing and ask God to bless.